0: Welcome to 5 Minutes to Chaos, the podcast that dives deep into the world of chaotic emergencies and complex crisis management. In each episode, we'll engage with emergency managers and crisis leaders to explore the challenges that arise in times of crisis and the strategies they employ to navigate through them. From natural disasters to technical failures to human-caused events, we'll examine real-life scenarios that put crisis managers to the test. Join us as we uncover the lessons learned from past emergencies and gain insight into the complexities of crisis management. With 5 Minutes to Chaos, you'll be better prepared to face the unexpected when it strikes. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Steve Kerr here, your host of Five Minutes to Chaos podcast, where we uh, explore the complexities of crisis management. Five Minutes to Chaos is an unrehearsed, unscripted podcast with the goal of promoting crisis management through the raw experiences and observations of emergency managers, crisis leaders, and incident commanders that have led their teams through complex and challenging situations. With us today is both a, a friend and a colleague, somebody that I uh, became uh, acquainted with uh, during my uh, eight year run as an emergency manager in Colorado. And um, when it comes to public safety and emergency management, I I know nobody that has uh, the expanse of a career that Jim Reed has. Welcome to the show, Jim. Well, thank you, Steve. It's good to see you, my friends good to see you brother um, g- tell us a little bit about your background and please don't uh, don't rush through it because I think it's important for the folks to hear the the uh, extensive nature um, and really the trilateral nature of your experience in emergency management law enforcement fire that thing
1: well I'll start out uh, in 1980 I started my Air Force career as a firefighter. Um, and ended up in West Germany. Uh, One of the first events I went to was actually the uh, Iranian hostages coming home. I got to go through that whole process with Secret Service and everybody uh, to ensure security of the base and and watch them depart the airplane. And then shortly thereafter was the first terrorist bombing that I responded to. Uh, 1981 was the headquarters at Ramstein Air Air Base then. Um, And uh, that was uh, quite an experience. You know, you're you're 19 years old. You've got this terrorist bomb and uh, and we went through the facility. Thank God nobody was seriously injured. Uh, But there was a second device uh, that didn't go off and that could have wreaked a lot of havoc uh, had it gone off. And then from there, I went to uh, uh, Rhymein Air Base and I think it was 1985. We had another terrorist bombing uh, which killed two of our folks, uh, unfortunately. And uh, that one uh, really caught me off guard. We were uh, uh, going through office call kind of a staff meeting uh, and it rocked the base and myself and another individual were the first ones on scene and the chaos was, was real. I mean, we had people on the ground that were injured. Uh, we had fire uh, and so we, we did our thing. And again, a second device was planted uh, which would have taken out most of the first responders had it gone off um, and uh, it didn't, uh, fortunately for us. Uh, but uh, unfortunately the last two people. Then later on uh, ended up being stationed in California. Uh, where I helped with Loma Prieta earthquake and the Oakland fire, Oakland Hills fire. Spent a couple of days out there fighting fire in the Oakland Hills. I think that was '91. Uh, from there, uh, I ended up going here, coming here to Colorado. Uh, retired in 2000 uh, out of the Air Force, and uh, in 2003 took the job as county fire marshal. Uh, and as county fire marshal, uh, you know we dealt with white powder incidents, meth labs. I don't think I slept for about three or four years because we were just constantly on the go. Uh, the meth labs eventually slowed down. The white powder instance obviously stopped, uh, and then uh, was asked to go through post academy because I did arson investigations. Uh, I will tell you that I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't recommend going through post at fifty and fluffy. Uh, it was a it was a tough run, <laughs> but I made it. I wasn't going to quit, um, and got through that.
0: And post is. Police officer or peace officer? Training.
1: Yeah, so safety training. Yeah, safety training. Yeah.
0: Right. Became- Is that you were in the sheriff's office at the time? The did-
1: so I was a sheriff's deputy commander, but I was also a sworn peace officer. And so um, I did arson investigations, hazmat, wildland firefighting. Uh, so we were pretty busy. While at the sheriff's office, though, uh, we had the Waldo Canyon fire, which was now, I think, the second largest fire in Colorado. Um, and that was uh, a, a two week event. And that, you know, it started on a Friday night where we were looking for smoke and couldn't find it. And Saturday morning it kicked off and we ended up bringing in a type one team and uh, worked closely with the city on that fire. Um, and uh, after that, I was offered a position to be the executive director of Department of Public Works. And so uh, that was a great job. And why that was so important to me is, uh, one, is I kept the Office of Emergency Management with me. I had it while I was uh, with the Sheriff's Office. So I had OEM for a decade. Uh, and then when I went over to Department of Public Works, they moved OEM with me. It came with me over to the Department of Public Works. What's key about that job is infrastructure. You know, We talk about flooding. We talk about roads. We talk about infrastructure countywide. Not just a not just municipality, but it was countywide. Uh, and so that was a huge learning curve for me, uh, but it was also a great area uh, to learn from, right? Uh, and then uh, then we had the Black Forest fire, of which I spearheaded the recovery of that, uh, which took almost, I think we closed our last pro- our last uh, recovery process out like nine years later. That's how long it took to get through that recovery process of Black Um, And so that was quite, quite extensive, it was a pretty good size fire. And again, we had to build the infrastructure up. And then towards the end of that, uh, uh, towards the end of that, uh, uh, about six years into that, the city came to me and the county came to me and said, hey,
0: and when you say the city, you mean the city of Colorado Colorado Springs?
1: Springs. Thank you for clarifying that. City of Colorado Springs and El Paso County came and said, hey, we want to combine the two OEMs. Um, You know, we're pretty, we're, we're growing in numbers. And we've got these two OEMs now, you know, we talk about communication being an issue on every event. Um, And this was a classic example with the World of Canyon Fire. Um, You know, we had two different OEMs, right? Because we had two different jurisdictions that were impacted. And a lot of times we just couldn't get a hold of each other. We, you know, we we didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what we were doing. We really struggled with the comms on that. I think that was identified again in Black Forest. And then after that, they said, hey, we wanna combine the two. I think that was a a great idea, but it was gonna be quite the task. So I accepted the position as the regional director uh, for that and and had to combine two different cultures into one. And they had to be effective. They had to be effective to support the community because that's what it's all about, right? Right. Supporting. And I think that's where Steve, you and I met when I first went over to the city uh, was during the bomb cyclone that we had. Uh, here in El Paso County.
0: So I, actually, I attended, I think the first time we actually sat in the same room together, I knew who you were. You did an exercise. You were um, Executive Director of Public uh, Works, and OEM was under your jurisdiction, and you did a winter weather exercise over on uh, uh, over on Mark Dabbling, and uh, that's the first time I was exposed to what I later... Uh, came to understand is a Colorado Plains blizzard. And you had the uh, Rick White leading the uh, facilitating Lonnie was there and uh, you had the measles be it was a great exercise. And, and it was on a Saturday and um, you, the main objective goals and objective of the exercise, much to my surprise, Was making auto rescues and that came to bear later we'll talk about that when we talk about any number of blizzards and and the bomb cyclone blizzard but that's the first time i learned about the plan that you had spearheaded and that the county had for sheltering in place motorists that were stranded in blizzard conditions along um well, the north-south interstate, which is Interstate 25, but more so, it was Woodman Road and some of the east-west arteries, because those, those roads uh, traveled into the what's known as the Colorado Plains. And if you know anything about a Colorado blizzard, as I do now, the risks there are, are tremendous. So I learned a lot at that exercise and and it, and it was it was not too long after that that you and i started started working together more closely before then i was working with dr liz jordan she was with the sheriff's office i believe yeah uh, and, and, and was doing doing emergency management and and then when the uh when the city of, uh, of colorado springs and the county of el paso decided to merge oem it made life um more simplistic for me as a utility emergency manager because now I had to deal with one emergency management office, and and that was one of the objectives. Like you said, communication. um I came in after the Black Forest Fire. I think it was the Waldo Canyon Fire that the state the utility I worked for had had experienced a number of challenges, and they went to look for for, for a credential DM, and. Uh, putting the offices together and under you with your knowledge of being uh, an emergency manager locally was a, was a great benefit because I worked with Brett Waters before then and I worked with I worked with the gang you know all the fire guys that had come through there.
1: Yeah I think you know the, the thing for me is I when I took the job with the sheriff's office in 2003 um, I had no clue what emergency manager was. I mean basically I was there to do hazmat and wildland firefighting and arson investigations. That's what I thought I was that was my primary uh but then they came in and said hey uh, commander by the way you're in charge of oem and i'm like what is that what's oem i have no idea what that is right because in the military we handle it differently i mean they've changed since then they've gone to the ics format uh, but you know it was uh wow it was a big learning curve and and to your point uh, the biggest thing we had with blizzards in the plains is the traffic uh, of people doing things that they shouldn't do. You know, we, we ask them not to go out. We've got, you know, we've got blizzard coming, please don't go out and what do they do? You know, they've got a quarter tank of gas and they decide they need beer. I don't know, they need something. So they end up going to the store and then they, they can't make it back. And then we end up uh, doing search and rescue on those. And, and that that was my first exposure to search and rescue teams. Um, which cover really prairie uh, snow rescues and mountain rescues, uh, so, you know, it's a gamut. And what's unique about the search and rescue team here in El Paso County is it's all volunteer uh, and they work off of donations. And I gotta tell you, there's some of the best professionals I've ever seen when it comes to, to getting people, you know? And then you're working here in this, in this area, you've got what 27, 28 fire districts. So that's 28 fire chiefs, you know? Uh, we used to have one ambulance provider that has since changed. East District now is working with other districts, and now they're they're running their own ambulance at this point, uh, which I think has actually worked better. Uh, for some reason, our contractor is struggling to to meet the times and and get people on board. So, uh, there's been a lot of changes in the county over the years. But uh, to your point, and to talk about the bomb cyclone a little bit, Steve, one of the things that that I think I got a, a little frustrated with is. You know, the calm before the storm that we have, right? Well, the day of the bomb cyclone, it was calm. Weather was warm that morning, a little bit of drizzle, wasn't a whole lot going on. And people just assumed, ah, it was a false alarm. And then it went out and they did their thing. And then I struggled with the businesses and I understand the businesses, there's a fine line, right? Do I open, do I not open? Um, You know, we were pretty confident that this was gonna happen. Now, I will tell you the weather service is probably their own worst enemy uh, because they'd probably get it right nine times. They'd probably get it wrong nine times out of 10. And so when you say we got a bomb cyclone coming, people will go, oh yeah, just another another false alarm that we've got to deal with. And uh, the problem here is in Colorado, especially with the peak, uh, you may have what you think is a strong front coming. It hits the peak. It splits it, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't produce what the, what they think it's going to produce. So it's really hard to, to to guess the weather here, or predict the weather here. But that morning, everybody went to work. And you know, when you have a population of seven hundred and forty thousand people, uh, very few people stayed home. And even with my staff, I had city staff and county staff. We were just. I don't think we had been together for more than two months at the time
0: that's about uh, right
1: yeah i mean they to be honest with you my city staff looked at this differently because of the population and how dense it is and my county staff were little well, wait a minute we've got all this prairie stuff we need to talk about so i had two different types of staff looking at it differently and i had to somehow get them to work together um, we still at that point i still had county over on the county side and city over on the city side so they were separate but i had to run both
0: so go. so let's paint a little bit of a picture for the listeners if, if, if we can. The city of Colorado Springs lays at the uh, at the foothills, if you will, the front of the front range uh, in south Central Colorado. It's a population of about 500,000. The 740 that you uh, are talking about includes the, the rest of El Paso County. For those that don't know, El Paso County, Colorado, is home of the city of Colorado Springs, which is also the home to five military bases, including NORAD and the Air Force Academy. It's also the, the uh, USA Olympic City. It's where the Olympic Training Center is, is located, and it's a major tourist uh, destination. It's not a ski town. Skiing is to the west on the other on the uh, on the other side of the divide, over in uh, Telluride and Breckenridge and those cities. Now. Surrounding Colorado Springs, uh, uh, to the west, is a mountainous area with mountain towns uh, that are populated and that are served by the utility I worked for and by the uh, your county office. To the east of Colorado Springs, it's it's flat. It's basically the beginning. Would you agree? It's the beginning of the Great Plains, basically, or what they call the Colorado the Colorado Plains. So the diversity of the population really relies in the fact that some are urban, some are semi-urban, and then you know the smaller towns, and then there's completely rural agricultural uh, components. So I think it's important to draw that picture. When you say you had 25-odd fire departments, I think you also had seven or eight police departments, including the county sheriff, the city of Colorado Springs, and the smaller cities like Fountain and uh, Monument, uh, et cetera
1: in manitou right but the county as a whole is 2100 square miles so it was not it's not uncommon to be fighting a prairie fire uh wildland fire and then get a fire that busts up in the mountains and it takes me an hour running code to get to that fire to see what's going on that's all
0: is el paso county the largest county in colorado
1: uh, i think it's the as far as space wise yes but it's the most and it's also the most populous uh, county uh, at this point and right you would think denver
0: yeah you would think the city and county of denver but that's not that's not the case actually
1: right no it's not the case yeah and it'll be some time i think water's the biggest issue that holds us up because there's not a whole lot of water so they're working that uh, with the southern delivery system and and everything because the town just continues to grow. And as the city, as you reach the city boundaries, people are moving out East who aren't prepared to live out in the Prairie. You know, they're not, they're not ready. Um, And so there's a learning curve there that has to happen once they move out there. They expect city services, but it's not there. Uh, So there's that, Um, but yeah, so you're talking, you're talking folks who live out in rural El Paso County who come into Colorado Springs and work. And as you said, uh, you know, Highway 94, Highway 24, US 24, uh, which is you know those those are the two arterials that get people from the from the uh, prairie into the city to go to work. And this bomb cyclone, I, I don't remember Steve exactly how much snow it was supposed to produce, but the winds um, the winds were in, uh, almost hurricane level winds uh, when they came through. And so we had people who went to work. And then when the stores realized, oh, this this is really the blizzard; it's, it is coming. Try to get home. And within the first two hours, I had over twenty-two hundred stranded motorists. And uh, and so that the tasking of tracking each of those motorists, finding out their status, where are they at, well, how do we get to them, uh, and. It, fire departments couldn't help because they couldn't move because of the winds and what was going on and and search and rescue obviously couldn't go out so there was a period of time several hours where people had to stay in their cars until this thing calmed down enough for people could go out and start pulling, pulling folks out of cars and so then you've had the sheltering issue if you can't get your car in there and the fire department can't get to you how do i get you to a shelter and how do i get the red cross folks to open up those shelters. That was the other challenge that we had. We had a few that were already open, but the access to them was limited based off uh, based off the weather. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a challenge. Now, the other challenge we had on top of that was military has a certain amount of rules, right? So if I were to ask, we had several cars that were stuck on 94, which is near Shriver Air Force Base on Highway 94. And I asked the base commander, can I can I take people who are trapped in cars to your base and can you shelter them for a while? Well, you know, that's not going to happen. We, get, we got their visitor center. They allowed us to put some folks in their visitor center. Uh, but for the most part, they won't. It's a military installation. So there's rules. You know, There's things they could and couldn't do. Uh, so there's a lot of challenges in that. In that. Uh,
0: uh, we Are we talking posse comitatus level stuff or it doesn't well, rise?
1: No, that's law enforcement. What it is is security. Uh, you got to remember, you know, that's the satellite. It's a main satellite operating base. Um, and you don't know who you're going to get in the car. I mean, this is true. I mean, you, you just don't know who you're rescuing. Um, you know, and speaking of rescuing, we had four by four clubs that were willing to go pick people up. But that, that, that in itself is an issue too. Think of the liability. I don't know who that driver is. I don't know what condition that four by four is in. Uh, there's no background checks. And so right. we had... The, I had to tell them no we couldn't we appreciate the help but no we don't uh,
0: so you know, let me see if i could recall this properly you had um you had the, uh, the ECC open, it's called the Emergency Coordination Center in El Paso County, and we had a team there staffing, I want to say ESF-4 for firefighting, but actually was searching firefighting and rescue, maybe Chief Myers, our wildland fire chief. And I remember, uh, so the utility I worked for had infrastructure in the mountains. So as, as a result of that, we had snowcats. We had large and uh, small snowcats assigned to both the water department and the and the electric department. And there were other incidents where we we had. I mean, they used them regularly for routine utility operations. But there was an incident years ago where um, we deployed some snowcats for a utility emergency uh, up at one of the dams that we couldn't control the system using uh, operational technologies like SCADA and stuff like that. But I recall um, answering. Uh, the, the request for snow cats to help make rescues uh along woodman and maybe 94 and 24 and I think chief myers may have been coordinating that with you
1: yeah he did he did several in fact we pulled a, an elected official out of her car um you know and of course you know I, I I was happy to scold her for not following the rules and staying home after they were told to stay home um, and so that that's one of those things um that 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 uh, I want to go back to your position, how it was created in the the utilities. I think this is important during the Walden Canyon fire. There were points of failure, single points of failure uh, that were, uh, uh, that utilities had regarding water supply to the city itself. And I think, um, I think it was an eye opener for those guys. You know what? We don't, you know, emergency management is real important. I think we need to establish an emergency management office. Uh, I will tell you I was there when it got pretty tight where they would have lost 75% of the water supply for the city of Colorado Springs if the fire had taken out uh, that one single point of failure and I think that I think they've re looked at that as a result of your work while you were there saying hey we need to, we need to you know be prepared for this. So I think you did a, a phenomenal job over there with utilities you kind of opened their eyes and let them to the
0: trough, you know but, you know things change. Thank you. i I had I had one uh, been given the opportunity to recruit and retain an, an incredible team of talented emergency managers. Tragically for Brett, I stole some from the city. I recruited a couple from the city, but I mean all, all tongue- in cheek, I, I I think that reflects extremely well on on the leadership at at, at city oem uh before you before before you were there um i also had you know support of of the utility leadership and i had the support of the regional emergency managers because what we do is at emergency managers we knock on doors we show up with coffee and we develop those relationships like you and i did like brett waters and i did who uh, brett is now a county administrator correct am i these days brett was the city emergency manager at the time I appreciate the kind word you're saying, but it really is about the team and how we brought it together. And it, I think it really did come together, not well rehearsed during the bomb cyclone because you were running a new office. Yeah, you and I knew each other. My team knew both the city and the emergency management teams from the county. But it was it was this new unified entity that that you were running that we were trying to make work, that you were trying to make work. I shouldn't say try to make work, that you were making work. And we just got it done.
1: Yeah, we, we did, and that speaks to the quality of both city and county OEM staff, I mean they, they really came together uh, on that event, uh, but it was confusing for some folks right yeah what do you mean, I, you know, who am I working for or who's who's in charge of what, uh, but what brought to my attention that is one is that this consolidation was absolutely possible. And it was proven during the bomb cyclone response. I go, yes, this is this is absolutely going to work. We just need to get to the nitty gritty on how to how to make it work. And, right. and I will, I will tell you, Steve, you know, bringing bringing two cultures together, that was probably one of the most difficult tasks I've ever I've ever taken.
0: Uh, uh, I was there with you, and um, we relied on each other. We trusted each other, and we asked each other for input and advice. And I, I know you struggled with that. But I, I believe you overcame, and um, the adversity of of that, no, the challenge I should say of, of that, and uh, I, I think I think you in your retirement you left the people of Colorado Springs and the county with a great operation.
1: Well we left them with a good foundation. And I and I and I've said this before, even on my retirement, whoever gets it after me, good for them. Now they can take it and run. You know, getting that cornerstone laid, establishing those those relationships, uh, you know, because Sydney and County here in El Paso County, they they tend not to work with each other. They hadn't for years prior to the consolidation. And so you had you had two government entities that weren't necessarily uh, on the same communication uh, playing field, uh, you know, because they all have their own different views on how things should be done. Fortunately for me, I think, um, uh, you know, they they at first they got involved trying to tell me how to get it done, and eventually they backed off and just let me run with it, you know, uh, because I had, you know, if I had a, an event, I would have a county commissioner go, well, how come you didn't tell us we're county, or vice versa, well, how come the county is doing this, you didn't tell us the city, so. A whole lot of things came out of that, out of that consolidation process, and so, uh, but it sure will, just sure will. And then, right, and you'll love this. We we got a consolidated facility with two networks, which is great because the county network went down. I had city network. City network went down. I had county network. So that that was beautiful. That worked out really well. Got this building set up. um, um, All the ADA stuff is set in there. I mean, it's it's all. We did a phenomenal job on getting this building ready. And the county and city actually worked together to make that happen. And then as soon as we got it done, the pandemic hit and they said, go home. Well, wait a minute, I got this building that's ready to, to handle anything that, hit, that hits us, you know, and guess what, I gotta go home. So we had to learn a whole new process of working uh, through Zoom and, and, and other programs uh, uh, to make that happen. Now, some of us were in the facility all the time. Uh, But yeah, it was it was different, and uh, it was a challenge because we put so much time and effort into getting this facility ready for anything that could hit us, and then we were told to go home and and work from there. At least the majority of the staff.
0: So the same thing happened at the utility. We were uh, directed to establish uh, a virtual emergency operations center, uh, or as we called it, enterprise command center, and uh, go uh, virtual. A command using we use ms teams at the organization but i at, at the same time while we're running uh you know daily command and general staff calls and, and the crisis management team has, has activated virtually there's still a coordination going on between the city uh rather the regional oem and the utility and of course all the other agencies that you have responsibility for and we did that over cell phone and zoom too and um there were policy issues there were unification of 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 policy issues you know because so you know the utility that i worked for is a is a public entity uh that is considered a government agency along with you know police fire uh all the public health on the county side all all of that so we were another agency that you had to deal with but we brought a lot of resources to the table and uh and, and you know you relied on us we relied on you and we tried to make it we tried to make it work and we tried to make unified policy decisions it wasn't always doable but we we worked hard at it
1: yeah, when, you, when, when we talk about the pandemic, that the first thing we realized is as we were talking to the health department, uh, and I had a relationship with the executive director of the health department in, in, as the fire marshal. I worked with her closely on other, other jobs. Anyway, uh, she came to me and said, you know, we need help. So we immediately uh, uh, consolidated command and we worked with them as one unit. So my, my staff supplemented her staff and her staff you know, help with, the, we're, we're an OEM. And so that, I think that right there set uh, set a standard because statewide that wasn't happening. You know, they weren't unifying with their OEM. You know, OEM was working separate.
0: Jim, statewide notwithstanding, I don't think that was happening in many places. And I think, and then this is a whole other discussion for a four-hour podcast. I think emergency management was uh, sidelined, if not intentionally, just by virtue of circumstances and politics. During the pandemic, so you you you're unifying with the health department is, is a huge takeaway.
1: It was it was almost immediate. It was almost within the first week, and then once we once we established that, then we established uh, and you know this we had our, our general all calls right, uh, where right. we would we would do our updates of what was going on and what you know where, where stuff was at and what was going, and then your um, your national stockpile was delivered to our office, and we helped assist to get that. To, what little there was, uh, we helped get that out to the folks uh, as soon as possible. Um, and we worked closely with all the clinics and the hospitals, the hospital OEM managers, and we had separate meetings with them. Uh, so it was, it was a constant, um, there was constant communication, but it was team communication. It wasn't, you know, we weren't, we weren't a silo, they weren't a silo. Uh, we, were, we were, it was wide open and we were constantly in communication with each other. Um, and so I think that that in itself, I believe made it a huge success here in El Paso County for the health department. I mean, my, my staff were out there helping set up uh, vaccination sites and and, and, and and all that. I mean, we were just, we were that involved right. um, as a team. And yeah. I have to laugh at one point, uh, one of the uh, directors said, hey, Jim, can you do you have more people? Because my people were burned out. I said, well, how many people, how many staff do you think I have? And she says, You have at least 60 people, right? In OEM.
0: <laughs> oh, really?
1: I said, I said, Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. I said, No, there's only 16. And she said, Wait a minute, 16? Well, how did you get all this other stuff, though? It's because our staff work 24 7, 365.
0: Right.
1: I mean, you know, we, we were just as, as as tired as they were. Uh, but again, they're different cultures, right? Uh, my guys, you know, our staff uh, expect to work and know they're going to work. we health department staff, were not used to working those many hours and that much pressure, it was really different. It was an experience for them, but I'm I'm sure many of them will never forget.
0: You know, um, I think it's important to mention that the way you worked with the health department was was not, um, perhaps it wasn't common during the pandemic, but it wasn't uncommon for how we all worked in that area. Now, I, I don't want to make it sound like Mayberry. This is not by any stretch of the imagination Mayberry, although I was kind of told that before I was hired out there because I come to a small town. It's not a small town. Colorado Springs, the second largest city in in the state. But there were many events where we would support each other. I recall a wildfire. Uh, For some reason, I think it was called the 110 fire, and I don't remember why it was called that. It was down off of 25 uh, south of uh, Clear Spring Ranch, and uh, I got a call. Can you um, staff the planning section in the emergency coordination center? And we sent over a team, and for three days, we had a team on the ground working for you, maybe Lonnie, uh, and and that was a coordination center we had a water disruption and i said when we would set up our enterprise command center at the utility we would um always invite our public uh partners in and uh we had a water disruption because of a frozen valve and a huge tunnel that transported water from our terminal reservoir to two water treatment plants and we set up, we would always set up a MAC group, and that's where we put our, our mutual aid partners. And uh, uh, state state emergency management was in there. Uh, city uh, and county OEM were in there. So we do that kind of thing. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that you unified with public health, but I am surprised to hear you say it because it wasn't common. So good for you.
1: Yeah, and, and Stephen, you know this, we we are in this community. Uh, we all work together. Uh, how many times did we did I send staff up to Teller County, a neighboring county to help them out? How many times did Teller County come down and help us out? I mean, we, we, we just, the relationships, I, I had 20 years. Uh, I was I did this for 20 years, and, and I had the ability or the opportunity, I would say, to meet a lot of really good folks, um, and those relationships are what made it easy. You know, if I needed help, I just pick up the phone. Hey, Steve, can you send me somebody uh, for logistics? This is where I'm at. Yeah, Jim, I can do that right away. It was done. No questions asked. There was no, hey, do we have an agreement? No, I don't need an agreement. I just need a logistics person. Can you send them? Um, one of the things I, I I I really dislike is, I don't mind. Having having agreements they're fine but they can get in the way of things Uh, i think if i shake your hand and say hey i need your help will you do it yeah to me that works better uh because i I trust that person that they'll get it done Uh, when you start getting into the legal aspects and all that good stuff liability yeah there's some but but keep in mind my position had the liability it was on me and if i'm asking you for help it's because i trust you and i know you're gonna you're gonna help me out so um you know, I, I I'm not a big uh, I'm a guy that shake your hand and say, "What do you need? Okay, you got it. I'll get it to you." The fire you're talking about, I think, was the 110 because it was exit 110 off I-25 as well. There you go. <laughs>
0: that's about right.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of awesome. how that's kind of how they do that. You know. Right. So, but I think uh, over time the relationships with uh, with hospitals, ambulance providers, fire chiefs, uh, 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 the other emergency managers. Uh, and and then having that relationship with the department of public works roads that was a huge benefit to me because i got to meet all those folks too and when you talk about blizzards and flooding that's where the equipment is that's where the staff is right and so uh, i remember manitou uh, after world of canyon fire the ground was hydrophobic right because it was so hot so it wouldn't maintain water and we had massive flooding you know
0: i remember that yeah
1: I remember Manitou getting hit really hard um, and the director called me up the Department of Public Works of Manitou and said, Jim, I, I need help. I, I don't have trucks, right? And so I sent all I had and then I called the city, Travis Easton, And I said, hey, Travis, can you help me? I said, Jim, what do you need? I need four of these. He said, they're on the way. That's the kind of stuff that makes emergency management so successful. Uh, it's just making that phone call and say, hey, I need your help uh, and they're there. And, and our community is fortunate because we do that, even with our military partners. Uh, how many times did I call for Carson or Peterson and say, hey guys, can you send me this? Yeah, let's run it through the chain and we'll get it to you and then we got it. So I think in this community, at least in El Paso County and the City of Colorado, our friends were very fortunate that that's the mentality. That's the response. That's, that's how we do things here. Well, the
0: EM collaborative was a part of that too. So let's talk about that because I think that's a lesson learned for other emergency managers. Uh, the, the, uh, the city, and then the, the, the regional OEM hosted a bi-monthly uh, regional emergency management collaborative. And you guys brought together between 70 and hundred emergency managers, depending who, who chose to show up. And we rotated venues. We would host one month You would host at the ECC one month. We had uh, up at University of Colorado would host it one month and we would bring together the emergency managers and we would just share ideas, share situational awareness and talk about how we could help each other. So when you picked up that phone and I needed something from from, I don't know, uh, Peterson Air Force Base, the EM at Peterson Air Force Base, it wasn't the first time we're talking to each other. Um, You know, we had a security threat. uh, So. The utility I worked for had two water treatment plants on the Air Force Academy. Interestingly, inter- interestingly enough, and we had a security incident a few years ago. This is before you were an OEM, but because we knew the players, we got uh, the emergency management players. They got us right into the secure security forces folks, and we were able to coordinate. And we got extra patrols on our uh, on our infrastructure, and uh, they got the intel we needed to make some some security decisions. So that's that, that's really what it's about.
1: Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, it was unprecedented that two years ago, Air Force Academy had a huge exercise, major exercise, active shooter, um, with multiple active shooters. And they invited us to be part of that exercise. And we sat through some of the planning, and then we helped evaluate it because um, they brought partners from off-base. They realized that they can't just do it on their own, that they need right. help. Well, so that was unprecedented. They, they've never, rarely do they allow civilian folks in to, you know, outside the community to help with their And uh, that that was a huge eye opener for them. And we had a lot of questions for them. And it was a it was a good, good exercise. And I, what I liked about that was working together. Uh, they realized they were short some resources, and we had them. Um, and so we were able to help out. So I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was well worth the time. Yeah. That we put
0: you, you, you have been like, the last 20 minutes preached everything. I espouse, uh, and that's probably why we work so well together. Um, idioms like, uh, or, or aphorisms like, everybody has a seat at the table. If you want a seat at the table, you got it. Because if I, if I need to make that ask, make the ask that you're talking about. Ask for something. It shouldn't be the first time. Hi, this is Steve. I work at the utility. Hi, this is Jim. I work. It, it shouldn't be that, and and and, it, and it's not that way. And uh, work work the system where you have to, but get it done and back it into the system. And that was always uh, something that I promoted and learned early on as an emergency manager. You got to get it done. If you have structure and process systems, you know, E-teams, whatever you're using, WebEOC, whatever, that's fine. But get it done first, especially where people are involved, emergency management is a people first business, and that's something that uh, that you were always uh, promoting, and that your office always promoted. And as a utility, our customers were our people, and and I think that's that's another reason our offices work so well together.
1: And I want to I want to take it a step further. When I when I took the job, one of the conditions of taking the job was I'm not going to ask for permission to activate. My emergency coordination center. Now, why do I call it the coordination center, not emergency operations center? Operations tend to give that misnomer of operate where, where operations were not. So we changed it to coordination center because that's what we do, right? We coordinate support for our first responders and for our, our, our folks that are out there suffering the event. And so the key thing here was, is I said I will not do it if I have to go get someone's permission to activate the ECC. I'm just not going to take the job. And so they said, okay, fine. The, the policy I put in place was anybody any fire chief any firefighter out on the scene can activate us any of my staff can activate us at any time I don't care if we activate a hundred times in a week and and one of them was a, was really a good activation. Maybe the other 99, we could have questioned, but I, want people, I wanted people to know that no matter what the incident was, if you need us, you activate us. I mean, I had law enforcement call uh, patrol deputy out there said, hey, I need, I need the ECC activated cause I'm gonna need help with this. And we did. Now our levels of activation um, work dependent upon the event, right? If, if it was small, I might have one or two staff attached to it, but they knew that we were there. Um, and so that was, a, that was a constant thing that we had. One of the things that I struggle with is, is, is that initially they wanted me to say, I'm going to have a level one, two, three, four activation. I, I really struggle with those type of activations because you're putting a number on something that is uncontrollable. And so I would say no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And I'm either active or I'm not active. My level of activation is determined by what I say or by what my staff say, uh, and that's the end of it. Because this, this one, two, three, and four. After you get about five of those pages, people just stop. They stop looking at it. Right? It's a level four. What is that? I don't know what that is. You know, uh, it's like ESFs. Um, when I consolidate, it, I don't use ESFs. I don't. Um, I have coordinate. If you look at, if you look at the. Uh, If you look at it, I have coordination, uh, which is basically my operations. I have information, and then I have uh, health finance. So those are my three areas, and all those ESFs are full in those three areas. And why is is that key, Steve? It's because I'm training city and county staff. Each of them have their own rules when it comes to purchasing and, and operations and all that. But when I activate, they're sitting right across from each other. City person is looking at the county person. They're doing the same job, maybe a little bit differently, but they're doing the same job. My city person is late. My county person knows how the city person does it. They can fill in. They can backfill until the city person shows up and vice versa. So what we tried to build was a, an OEM that was simple, easy to fall in line with. You know, you know this. You could have a firefighter sitting at one table and a cop sitting at the next and, and someone needs something from the other, but they don't talk to each other, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so so I had I had I had Red Cross, the ambulance providers, the fire department, and law enforcement. I keep in mind you're talking State Patrol, you know, CSPD, uh Color Springs Police Department, you know, Sheriff's Office. Right. And I had them all sitting there staring at each other. And I'd go back there and, and, and CSPD say, well, I need three more officers, I'm kind of short but wouldn't say anything i said what do you need well i need three more officers i'd look at well there's so go ask them they're right there at the same table and so after a while they kind of fell into that where they were actually talking to each other um and and guess what my portion of the coordination was really taken care of at the level it should be taken care of and it was addressed immediately versus come to me hey i need then i go to them hey they need you know let's let's just cut it. Just talk to each other. Just tell me what you need, and let me get it to you, and we'll we'll make sure that gets the information. So we're tracking our resources and all that good stuff. Well, that
0: is a huge part of this podcast, Jim. Um, out of the box thinking, how to uh, attend to crises in an unusual manner. Um, you have, and and having familiarity with the system and worked within it, it was simple. It was easy to plug into. And uh it, I, I applaud the creativity and the imagination used to create something so simple. And that's that comes with experience and that comes with years in in the in the box. And you know, that that just uh I mean when you first laid that structure, out, I was like, huh? Uh, you know, l- let me learn it. And you know, and you and Lonnie and I and maybe um some others, you know, we sat down and we looked at it. And uh, we plugged in very easy to that, but um, I, I, uh, I like that structure and it, it was effective. And I think it's important for the listeners to know, and uh, your contact information will be in the show notes, but that there's a simple way to do crisis management uh, without going through the full NIMS ICS structure um, and yet still operate within it, kind of trying to say it meet it's compliant, but it's creative.
1: Yeah, and and I want you to keep something in mind. How many hours, Steve, did you attend uh, at the city for city OEM training on how to fill a position? So we bring a police lieutenant in, and we send that police lieutenant through eight hours of training on how to do their job in the ECC or EOC at the time for them. And then nothing happens. And then 18 months later, we have an activation. That lieutenant comes in and goes, "Uh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, right? So what we've done is we eliminated that Uh, the the training actually turns into a four hour training. It's two hours of telling them what the coordination group does. And then it's a two hour exercise to show how easy it is. And the bottom line is I can bring a person who's never been through that training. And they say, what do I do? Just do your job. That's all you got to do. Do your job. That's it. You don't have to learn anything else. We'll take care of the rest.
0: You know, Uh, we're, we're, we're starting to look at, um, The business side of the house and laying crisis management structures, where the people from a particular business pick a business, let's say it's a school, they're more in their organic role because they'll, they'll perform better. Yeah, I've learned that, and I think this has been studied and written about, when you take people that don't do what you and I do, we live and thrive in crisis. We live and thrive in fire and ICS and all the things we're talking about. People in business don't, or people running schools don't. don't. So you put them in as near a position as possible. So, I mean, it, it, it's not very creative at all to take the finance director of a business and put that person as the finance chief or what, you know, whatever you want to call it, or the person that runs the operation, you know, during the, the pandemic, our ops chief was our chief operating officer at the utility makes sense, right? So um, there are some deviations and you got to get people comfortable with the, uh the intensity uh, of, of a crisis. And, uh, you know, the the frequency with with decisions need to be made, but we're trying to keep them in their organic structures. And I like what you're doing there.
1: Yeah, and, and keep in mind, when you have something that's so structured, uh, things don't happen because well, that's not that's not within my, wait a minute, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Whereas if I keep it open, uh, flexible, which, right? Flexibility is the key to emergency management. Flexibility, even 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 managing fires and everything else. Flexibility is the key. Um, so when it's flexible, there are no boundaries. So if you see something that needs to get done, and maybe it's in one of the different groups, you can get up, walk over there and say, hey, I see this coming. What do you see? And let's talk about it. Um, and so Um, And that's, that's a, that was a big deal. Um, And so I think that And once they get used to that structure, uh, I had people, most people, especially operational folks, fire guys and and law enforcement, they don't want to go in the ECC. They want to be out there in the field. Well, after, after being in this structure for some time, they're like, Hey, I'll I'll go to the ECC if you need me to, because it's, you know, it's, I get to go talk to my counterparts or I get to work with them and, and make that happen. So I think that that, along with, as she said earlier, our coordinating, our coordinating, our quarterly coordinating meetings with all the EMs, um, you know, that constant communication, that constant team building, and the team building is just not internal, it's external, uh, you know, and, 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 and you have to, all the nuances that come with it, you've got to deal with it, you need to learn how to manage all that, you know, and then you go into the politics, you know. Uh, when, we, when I've got a city county of that, right, there's not politics, there's politics everything you do, you know, so, uh, but we were able to manage that, you know, very well, I think, um,
0: you know, uh, I think we did, you know, um, we didn't talk about the 4am phone calls, talk about, <laughs> talk about politics, man. So real quick for the listeners, in advance of a snowstorm, the utility Colorado Springs utilities in the city, uh, now the regional oem because the county was never involved in this until you you formed your office um we this was a written protocol we would wake up at four o'clock uh, in advance of uh, the workday. It was only during workdays. And we would get a weather report from uh, somebody who was dialed into the National Weather Service. It was typically somebody on your team. And then Public Works, Corey, I believe his name, would brief out the road conditions and how well they were able to move snow, salt, de-ice, and all that stuff. And then we would have the CEO of the utility, uh, HR director, uh, mayors, chief of staff, HR, director from the city, and all this And then we would um, we would go through this deliberative process, uh, discussion, four o'clock in the morning, coffee's not even on the, on the stove yet, and we're trying to figure out if we're going to keep the workforce home. Of course, all of that went to hell in a handbasket after, during the pandemic, which we all just, well, at least the white-collar workers, workers went home, but you're smiling there, and, and I love it because those phone calls were, those phone calls were just, just something else, you know?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to the rules, right? I would, I would either, I'd call them at the not call. And one day you called me and said, Jim, you and I are supposed to work together to make this decision. I go, really? What, where, where's that at? Oh, it's, it's in our agreement. I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember that. I was like, cause I was just calling flat out. And you were like, Jim, were you and I going to discuss it? Why would I talk to you about it, Steve? I mean, right, right. You know- Well, be-
0: because, because my upline was like, I mean, we don't think it's going to be that bad. Who's who's making a call? I'm like, well, you know, we got a new OEM director, but we're we're developing a relationship, and and that was that was fine. But yeah, but I, I remember that. I I remember that because because I because I got my boss nipping at my butt, saying, "Why are we waking up at four o'clock in the morning?" I'm like, "Cause somebody said so."
1: Yeah. Isn't that funny? And then finally, when you said, well, yeah, it's in our agreement. I go, really? We have an agreement on phone calls at four <laughs> o'clock? Okay. All right. I'm I'll, I'll, sorry about that. Steve didn't mean to leave you out on it. But yeah, no, so-
0: yeah, I, I'd have been happy if you just woke up at four <laughs> o'clock made the call and texted me and I would have woke up. And-
1: it got worse. So we do the four o'clock for the city. And then I do a four thirty for the county.
0: Oh no, come on. Yeah, I, I, remember. I remember, I yeah, remember. Yeah. So my
1: staff and I would get up at three thirty in the morning, look at school closures, look at all the weather, talk to the weather guys, talk to now I talk to law enforcement, I talk to PD and so to see how the roads are. Keep in mind again. Right six years in the department of public works you got a guy driving a snow plow roads ain't that bad i can get through they're passable you got a guy sitting in a, a law enforcement vehicle they're going oh no they, they're terrible we can't drive on it so there's, there's right two right things. yeah you gotta filter those two things right yeah
0: right so right we i would check with our security patrols because we had security patrols honey, overnight driving around facilities to see what the roads were like and our field service crews which are like our our utility first responders and then you know that was the information i contributed listen we're making light of this thing but and it's okay because we could have a chuckle over it but it was serious emergency management business and it was just another thing that we made happen and got done you know getting the mayor or the mayor's chief of staff and the utility ceo on the phone at four o'clock in the morning to make high level decisions about the workforce the workday. This is serious stuff because we're talking economic decisions. And uh, so uh, again, cute, fun, you know, in retrospect, nice to think about, but hey, just something else, you know. Yeah, but we did.
1: And, and the thing is, when we, so I, I once had a general say when I was active duty Air Force, you know, bad decisions are made off of bad information. So give it to me straight, I don't care. And so that's what I liked about those calls, is because at 3.30 in the morning, you know, we're up getting all the information, putting it all together for them. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: Four o'clock, we were ready, and we just briefed them out, uh, and and then pretty much sat back. And I can tell you, many times, because it's unpopular to close the city or the county. I mean, you know, people, taxpayers expect they have services. We don't care what the weather is, and that's right. kind of what you have to deal with. Um, but there were many times when there was pure silence, and that's when. You and I would step in and say, "Hey, we think you ought to delay two hours, give the road crews a little bit of time to, to clear the road so people can come in." Oh, yeah, yeah good idea. Yeah, uh,
0: and and I re- I remember cultivating my speech because these were ele- these were our elected officials, and I would, gentlemen, might I suggest, you know, and I could see you because we weren't on video or anything. I could right. hear you rolling your eyes yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. really just
1: make a damn decision let's move forward right but right but, right but right. you but then you would just say you know we've done this in the past and it's been successful right you might want to this is an option yeah so you but but you want to take care of them because they're trying to take care of the workforce right I mean, it, they're, they're, it, it, it was all
0: care. it was all well-meaning and we're, we're, yeah. we're on the edge of you know city city utility politics there but it, it really wasn't that big a deal and and, and we got it done Man, oh man, Ben, We could sit and tell war stories forever. You know, I have the fondest memories of my time in Colorado. I miss it, and uh, I'm I'm sitting here on my perch in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm looking at the intercoastal Waterway. It is steamy as all heck out there. It's it's in the high nineties today. And I'm thinking about the bomb cycling and other blizzards. And I'm thinking, man, that, that was a great, it was a tremendous growth opportunity because this urban fella, black horse, showed up, uh, you know, dark horse candidate rather. Dark horse showed up. And uh, I I had to learn pretty quickly what Colorado was like. And I had to learn. Uh, rural. I mean, I had done some rural and suburban emergency management before then, but this was completely different. This wasn't New York. Even the snow is different. And the the snow in New York was wet and heavy and you got traction and I was able to drive in that snow well my first time out in the snow in Colorado I realized why it's a ski state because the snow is dry and powdery and you can absolutely not stop that car even if you're going five six miles an hour so it, it, it's just different but I reflect on my time in Colorado with great fondness and uh, the friends uh, that I left behind such as yourself and you know Chief Mike Myers and uh, some of the other guys and, and, and gals that I worked with was a tremendous uh, emergency management and, and personal growth experience for me. And I want to thank you. Let me go through some, uh, j- just some notes. A couple things I was just uh, jotting along the way. So heed the warning is something that you said that stands not only for blizzards in the Colorado plains, but that's also for hurricanes. That's also for tornadoes. So when the emergency manager, the weather service says, seek shelter, we mean it when we say don't get in your car and drive across uh, highway 94 in a blizzard. We mean it. Uh, so heed the warning. Uh, evacuate the coastal low lying areas. We mean it. Uh, pre-shelters. You say,
1: that, well, you say that much better than I do, Steve, more politically. Cause I say what part of that don't you understand?
0: Well, it's, well yeah. Well, to get on the podcast. That's, that's,
1: well, yeah. But I don't, but see, the thing is, I don't, I'm not kind when it comes to that. When I tell people, uh, that hey this is coming you need to you know make sure you have gas in your car make sure you have you know blankets and food in your car just in case you get stuck this is not a joke i'm that serious when i tell you this and 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 i think sometimes we we try to i mean you said it very polished i'm not that guy you know what part of the put blankets in your car don't you get you know what do i need to do to get this to 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 get your
0: attention and let you fully understand what you're up against. You you know, Jim, the the PSAs in advance of any of these blizzards go out from your office and probably state DOT, I'm thinking, um, well in advance of the arrival of the storm. And when 2,200 cars was the number I I recall you saying, uh, get stranded. And and I'm not just saying like the tires are spinning. The cars are now covered we had an employee in our water department that was trapped in her car. She had some food. We knew where she was. We were in phone conversation with her, and Myers went over with the with snowcat. Was able to di- to dig her out. You probably know who I'm talking about. And she was over there on uh, on Dublin, I think near near Woodman, uh, kind of like where I lived. And uh, so again, for for the folks listening, this is not just your tires are spinning. Your, your car is absolutely covered at this point from the blowing very dry, uh, not not very heavy, heavy, wet snow. So when the PSAs are out there, 2,200 people have to still be rescued, and their cars have to be towed, uh, and you have churches set up as shelters and schools along these major arteries. I mean, it's, it just says something about how the American public really rely on emergency management, police, fire, et cetera, for, for their safety, but really need to take some personal responsibility.
1: That's and that's it's a shared responsibility, Steve. It's, it's ours, it's ours to give them the information they need, but it's theirs to also take advantage of what's right. Yeah. So, honey,
0: welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's that's good.
0: While, yeah. the other thing was uh pre sheltering, you know, you set up your storm shelters, your your blizzard shelters well in advance, much much like uh state and uh, along the coastal areas would for uh for a hurricane or some other uh severe. Weather event. You spoke extensively about relationships, I cannot agree more. Everything you and I did, and everything I've ever done in any emergency management role I've ever had is about is about relationships. You know, I got a post up this week on LinkedIn about the Rolodex being the most important tool that an emergency manager has. Well, you know what? That's where all the contacts list. Uh, that's where all the contacts exist, and the batteries never run out on a Rolodex. And it's just about you know picking up that. That that business card and and making that call. You talked about unifying emergency management and Department of Health, and I capitalized on that, saying that emergency management unifies um, wherever it needs to unify depending on what the situation is and it's about getting it done, not so much the process. And uh, we spoke about relationships and we talked we spoke about, uh, the criticality of, of, of an emergency management structure being designed to work. And uh, that's uh, I think that's a critical takeaway. It's make it work for you, make it work for your jurisdiction, make it work for your agency, make it work for your organization. Most of all, make it work for the people and the public that we serve.
1: I think um, I know when I retired, I had over 1800 contacts on my phone my cell phone, at that if that tells you anything and then yep. the other thing i think is critical too is as the as the um, you really need to garner the trust of your elected officials and I'll, and I'll tell you why i can't tell you on how many occasions i've activated national guard and just said i need to without having to go through a process of getting the, the board chair to approve it and all that good stuff uh, because they trusted me uh, and so i made financial decisions on equipment right there on the spot without hesitation uh, because I had the trust of the elected officials, and so I think that's, I think that's another key thing too. Is, is if you have to get permission for everything that you do, you really need to look at what you're doing, and figure out how you can get. Now there are people that are going to micromanage. We know that. Uh, some of us have dealt with that in our, in our time. But the the time that I had with El Paso County and Colorado Springs, uh, I was never questioned on decisions that I made. That most people have to get permission uh, to to do. And so I think that's. That's real important because the person that needs your help needs it now. They don't need you to go through three hours of you know trying to get permission to get this resource bot moving. They need it now. They're having the worst day of their life, and 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 we have the ability to help them. We just need to make it happen and make it happen. So I think that's critical. I mean, you know, seconds seem like hours when folks are. You,
0: you you sound like uh, my first boss in in a real emergency management role in New York City, Jerry Howard. And when we when that agency was formed, and I was fortunate enough to be uh, selected to be on the leadership team, Jerry said to us, "This is a people first organization. Rule number one. Rule number two: Get it done." That was it. Those are his two rules. And and you sound like that, and it resonates with me.
1: Yeah, and it, it and and it was for my staff too. I I gave my staff the ability to make those tough calls and make those decisions, Uh, and sometimes, yeah, I got called my the carpet and had to take you know a little bit of a beating because it was a bad decision. But but I never chastised the staff for it. What I did say is, thank you for making that decision, right or wrong. Thank you for at least standing up and made because that's
0: what I. Jim, the only bad decision is a decision that's not made.
1: Made no decision. That's absolutely right. I totally agree with you, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and, and you know, I've been, just like you, I've been very blessed. I've been able to serve my country in the Air Force as a firefighter and, 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 and take care of people. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to do that afterwards. So, my entire life, 40 some odd years of working, has been taking care of people because people are what makes, you know, they make things happen.
0: You know? So, um, let a little secret out that I'm four days older than you. <laughs> your 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 birthday's a four days after mine. So um I'll ask you um what's next? Are You're we are way we way. are we gonna you know stay ret- retired? We're we gonna do anything else?
1: So uh I looked at uh maybe getting a small place out your way for, for winter times here so I don't have to deal with bomb cyclones. Uh I'm not sure uh, I, I want to get the summer heat out there in Florida, but because uh, it's gorgeous right now. It's like seventy degrees, it's beautiful out here. I bet, yeah. But um, you know, uh because of the amount of time that I put in, you know, 12, 14 hour days, seven days a week, sometimes uh, my focus has really been my family um, and my house right now. And and every day is Saturday. There may be, I I did get elected to the local fire board. So I do sit on that. I'm I'm still active with that a little bit uh, because I have something to offer still, I think, of course, but I think uh, for me, it's been, uh, it's been a healthy uh, separation. I don't listen to the radio. I don't, you know, I just, I just kind of, made the break so I have a paintbrush and a saw and screwdriver you know I'm, I'm doing that kind of stuff right now I'm sure at some point Steve I may you know if someone needs a lecture or someone wants to come out and talk to them I'd, I'd be happy to do that but I just um, I think uh, this has been kind of me time as selfish as that may sound um, it is kind of me time but uh, I won't. I still get uh, people on LinkedIn say, "Hey, can you help me with my resume, or can what do I need to get in?" Stuff like that. I think uh, for me, I'm, maybe I'm a little bit of a dying breed because I'm not into all the the programs and computer stuff. You know, that's good stuff. Um, I remember I was out in Kuwait, and, and my commander was very adamant that we were going to do everything on the computer. That's all there was to it. And I had the darn thing plugged in and charged. Got out in the field. We had we had an, an event. And uh, the computer was worthless. And so it ended up in the sand somewhere. I just chucked it and pulled out my maps and went yeah. back to work. So you know, it's
0: interesting you say that. I'm 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 plugged in everywhere. I'm on every social media. I, I have a robust presence on LinkedIn. The podcast is yet another way that I contribute to my passion, emergency management, right? This podcast is not monetized or commercialized. And yet, when I walk into crisis, I have um, a clipboard and a pen. I I mean, I just just don't trust, uh, you know, any any of the crisis management programs not to, not that the programs would fail, but, you know, the power goes out. And, you know, like we said, the batteries fail. So we'll use it. We'll use those tools. But uh, we had one in my last, you know, in my last EM role. But uh, I got a clipboard.
1: Well, my staff, when they come in, they're trained to do it by paper first there you go digress but yeah but they're but the but you know these and i love them they're all excited about emergency management they're young um and they just grew up in a different environment than you and i did and so hey they got this program that does this and they got this program that does that that's nice but let's just do it for now i think they were probably happy to see me go so they could go you know so they could they could go forward with the with the new innovation out there but right but you know, when the proverbial stuff hits the fan and you don't have all that stuff yeah you better know how to pick up a paper and pencil and get to work
0: well yeah. i th- i think we did it well i think we did it well together and uh i'm appreciative of you uh professionally and personally as a friend um so how can the listeners find you you just said you're on linkedin if, it, if it's okay with you i'll post yeah. your linkedin contact on the show notes
1: you have um, do you have my email, I guess, if you if you want to get I can that put out. it
0: there. Yep, yep. That's a great email address, by the way.
1: <laughs> Blaze
0: uh blaise Net blaise or something?
1: Blaze fighter, fighter. Jimmy Blaze fighter. fighter, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Firefighter always a firefighter, either. yeah.
0: No, I get I that.
1: To, I did run for sheriff, right? Uh, unsuccessfully, so I'm a fellow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but just before I got there, I was, the signs were still up when I when I arrived yeah. in Colorado. But,
1: but you know, it was a great experience. I met a lot of people. And, uh, uh, you know, you want to really test yourself, run for office, and, and just see how you. Oh,
0: please, yeah. yeah.
1: It opened up my eyes, but I passed yeah. the test, right? You know, I I, I kept it clean. And I kept I kept my integrity and. Uh, Uh, it it worked out for me but it also brought me a lot of good contacts and and people got to know me so yeah when i make those phone calls yeah hey it's jim hey what do you need buddy exactly exactly
0: well um before i sign off um hey if you run into any of the old guard give them a hug for me and a hello uh i miss i miss the guys and the gals that we worked with we you know we, we had a good we had a good show out there and we did good stuff together so thank you again I want to thank Jim Reed for joining 5 Minutes to Chaos and for sharing his career experience and crisis management stories. 5 Minutes to Chaos drops weekly on Thursdays. Please follow us or like us on your favorite platform and set it to alert so you become aware when an episode drops. We welcome your comments and questions, which can be submitted in the comments area of the show or just direct message me on LinkedIn. Until next time, embrace the chaos. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. that brings us to the end of this episode of 5 Minutes to Chaos. We hope you enjoy exploring the many facets of the incident we discussed today and gain some new insights and perspectives along the way. Remember, confronting chaos is not something to be feared or avoided. It is a central crisis management role that we can learn to embrace and navigate with robust leadership and personal resilience. By embracing chaos, we can tap into our creative potential, adapt to situations more easily, and find a way to overcome the challenges of complex emergencies i'd like to thank our guests and experts who shared their insights with us today and to our listeners thank you for joining us we hope you found value in today's episode and invite you to continue exploring the many aspects of complex crisis management don't forget to subscribe to five minutes to chaos for more thought-provoking conversations and insights and if you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving us a review or sharing it with a friend and colleague. Until next time, embrace the chaos.